All right, everybody at home, welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast. You're joined by me, Connor, and Mike, and we have some special guests with us today. Mike, I'm going to let you introduce those guests. Go for it. Okay, well, we do have a treat. Now, remember, this is part six of seven of big questions about the Bible. So if you've been tuning in with us each week, we are still on the same track. But I have such a treat right now because uh, today at Grace Orange, we're hosting a, uh, a, a gathering of pastors, a, a one-day conference. And it turns out right here in my office, sitting here right now, I have two uh, amazing men. My son, Michael, Michael Shera. You know, I'm Mike Shera. This is Michael Shera. And then Eric Durso. And these are the pastoral, basically two of three of the pastoral staff of Grace Rancho. And Eric is the senior pastor. Michael's on the pastoral staff. Uh, love these guys. Glad you're here, guys. I'm glad you're sitting in with us. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks for letting us invade your podcast. Yeah. This will be fun. Absolutely. We're thankful for you guys. And uh, I know you guys are doing a, a study on scriptures in your podcast. So we don't want to interrupt. No, and, you're going to be. We want you to go do your thing. Right. We're happy to be here. Yeah, you guys are going to be part of the content. Let me do this. Let me do a rundown for, let's say this is the first time you've ever, you know, hopped on to Ordinary Church. This is where we've been up till today on on this this string of podcasts. Yeah, yeah we've, we've been doing a, a study, big questions about the Bible. So run us through what we've done over the last five episodes. Okay, well, we started okay. with why can we trust the Bible? And basically because it's inspired, inerrant, infallible, it's sufficient. I love Martin Luther's quote, let the man who would hear God speak, read Holy Scripture. Mm -hmm. And then Thomas Watson wrote of Scripture, think in every line you read that God is speaking to you. So we talked first about why can we trust it? It's inspired, inerrant, infallible. It is sufficient. We talked about the clarity and the perspicuity of Scripture, and that was rich, that was full. Then basically we also brought in this idea of the, the, the inerrancy of the 1978 Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy, right. which basically um, in four words, I summarize it this way. The Bible is true. Mm. If you want more words, it's the Bible is really, 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 really true. Okay. So we did. Why can we trust the Bible? Secondly, how can we understand the Bible? And we got into illumination, how God gives us understanding and clarity to our finite minds that we can understand the eternal word of God. Third, how are we to study the Bible? We got into uh, grammatical, historical, hermeneutic, how words mean something, how they matter. Uh, we want to be careful. We want to be diligent. We want to be precise with the scriptures. Fourth, we looked at what we should be looking for. And we talked about authorial intent, mm -hmm. the intended meaning, uh, not a downloaded message from the Holy Spirit out of the clouds, uh, not a special word, not a feeling, not some extra biblical message, but uh, the human author dovetailing with the divine author, and they don't ever contradict. So we looked at authorial intent. And then last week was, was awesome. We looked at on week five, how do we know if our interpretation is the right one? And we talked, uh, this was kind of the summary of that. Humbly, confidently, cautiously check and confirm. Uh, ask some questions. What did the early church think about, uh, understand it to mean? Uh, what did the church believe through the ages? Uh, what fits best with the body of scripture in context, context in the historic Christian faith? Uh, beware of new ideas. And then the idea of, you know, is it supported grammatically, historically, linguistically, contextually? And does it enjoy compatibility with the rest of scripture? And obviously that widespread support of the historic Christian church. So that really brings us up to today. And the topic for today is... 
Yeah, so today we're actually going to pivot from biblical interpretation to some questions about authority, uh, the Bible's authority in the lives of individual believers. So the question for today is, why must we obey the Bible? So after you get through all the weeds of interpretation, hermeneutics, trying to figure out what the text actually means, you're kind of left with a question, what do I do with this now? And so today the podcast is going to be about why do we obey the Bible? Why must we obey the Bible? Um, and maybe just as a lead-in, uh, I could just say we all have experienced this. We've read books in seminary by men who work really hard, and women, who work really hard to understand what the text of the Bible is saying, and they don't care at all about obeying it. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe I'll just throw open the question for anybody who wants to jump in. What are some initial thoughts about why we must obey the Bible? Uh, my <clears throat> excuse me. My, my first thought of why people must obey the Bible is the reason they should obey the Bible is because Jesus is Lord and he, um, as Lord, he can make demands upon our lives mm-hmm. and he is God and God has spoken and we would be utterly foolish to disregard anything that God has said. Um, and so the, the text that came to mind was the, the one that everyone knows about the, the story that Jesus tells at the end of the Sermon on the Mount about the one who builds his house uh, on the, the rock, the one who builds his house on the sand. And what's the difference fundamentally between those two people is the one who's building his house on the sand is the one who does not hear the word of God and obey it. The one who's building his house on the rock is described as the one who builds or hears the words of Christ and does them. So obedience, Jesus is Lord, so obey him. And then there's a, there's a consequence attached. If you, if you don't build your life on the word of God, your life will crumble. Absolutely. It's interesting when you were saying that, it reminded me of something that Jesus said in in John chapter 14 that gets taken wrong all the time, Hmm. where he says to his disciples, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. And a lot of people say, yeah, I don't need my Bible. The Holy Spirit's just going to download the message and teach me. And mm. Jesus will bring to my remembrance everything that I need to know. Yeah. Well, he was speaking to his disciples about how these who didn't always understand what Jesus was saying while he was on earth, that he was going to uh, do a supernatural work where they would be able to write New Testament books, right. the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. Mm. Now, this is about the inspiration of Scripture. But the interesting thing is when he said, all that I have said to you. Even when he says, if you, if you love me, you keep my commands, back in verse 15. Some people will go, oh, only the red letters, right? And it's like, no, that's the full body of God's revealed truth in Scripture. All of it, everything that God has, has inspired and that we have in the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. So you're, you're, you're saying that, that Paul and James and John and Peter are recording what Jesus wanted them to record because he said, I'm going to send the spirit. They're going to write what I taught you. Yes. Yes. I love your point about all Christ. Yeah. And I love your point about the Lordship of Christ. I mean, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy spirit. Hmm. Unless you're regenerated by the spirit of God, unless you're saved, you are not going to be acknowledging Christ as Lord. And the idea of even again, wanting to obey the scriptures is going to be foreign to a lot of people. And so Jesus has every right and full authority to to tell us exactly what to do. Yeah. And we must That's obey true. his words. It's conscience. I say it a lot. It's conscience binding. Right. Uh-huh. I can't bind your consciences. I can make suggestions. But what Jesus says are not suggestions. Right. Yeah. 
or Paul or Peter, or any Paul, of those yeah. guys, because right. it's all coming all from scripture. Yeah. all scriptures inspired by God. That's right. Profitable. Yeah. Yeah. You so often divorce those two or people in conversation do. The first thing that came to my mind, that's foundational. The, the other thing that came to my mind was when you think of second Peter one, his divine power has granted us to all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God's given us what we need to live godly lives, and we find that in Scripture, and that's in large part what we're sanctified by, right? Like, if if we want to be sanctified and grow in holiness and follow Christ closely, we're going to do so by God's Word, and so we have to start there, and um, it's useful. So let me throw a question out to you guys. You know, Jesus said in John 17, 17, thy word is truth, and he's praying to the Father, and we're saying, we, we're all agreeing, you know, Four guys couldn't be in, in better and bigger agreement mm-hmm. on this point, <laughs> that all scriptures inspired of God, it is theopneustos, it is from the mouth of God, it is authoritative, it is binding. So we're all in pastoral ministry, and uh, you know we're not that far away from each other in terms of, you know, what, 45, 50 miles away, mm-hmm. our churches. What are some of the things you guys are seeing the most when you, when you, when you see someone who says, wow, look at the word, you know, or great sermon, Eric, or whatever, and it's like, yeah, but I don't see it reflected in your life. You know, mm-hmm. you're not obeying the, the Lord. What do you see as what do you what gets traction in someone's life where they finally go, oh wait, this is authoritative. I have to obey it. Hmm. What changes? Uh, what gets traction? Help me understand kind of what you're trying to get at there. The idea of the person who loves the word, yeah. but then but they they're maybe they're not self-aware and they don't see that their life really isn't lining up with the word. And maybe you know some things where you're like, you're not really obeying the word here. What what changes in the heart? What what you know even influences by by pastors and elders happen where you can say, "Wow, we saw a change here," and and they got it. Yeah, I think one of the things you know I pray often for my congregation, and one of the things as I'm thinking about them, um, I'm I'm realizing there's so little I can do to change their their character. Uh, I can, like you said, I can influence, I can add advice, and, and I can change some surface stuff, but to change the heart, uh, I, it's something that only God can do through his word. So when I start seeing um, a conviction of sin, the word of God has exposed an error, and they are confessing that. They're acknowledging it, and they're starting to think of ways to change. That's, to me, the, the, like the first thing that gives me the flag, like, oh, this person's growing and changing is usually humility, like Mm -hmm. conviction, um, confession. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This kind of recognition of their own spiritual poverty and in their spiritual bankruptcy, they're saying, I need need something from the outside. I can't, I don't have the resources from within and I need Christ. I need his word. That is going to be the food for my soul. So so the, the thing that I'm seeing that just encourages me, um, isn't always first that rah, rah, let's do this. It's first that just, I've been humbled, yes. broken over my own sin. Yeah, I love that. I mean, if you think about it, we say this so often and we believe it, but the Spirit of God uses God, the Word of God in the lives of the people of God for God's glory. And the conviction, the you know, the hum- even to humble us, this is a work of God. And it's like the light bulb goes on. And it, you know, in the Gospels where... Um, you know, Jesus will cast a demon out of a guy and, and they go like, he's sitting there in his right mind. 
Mm-hmm. It's almost like, and again, this is kind of a leap when you say, well, yeah. it's not like they were demon possessed, but something was causing them to not respond appropriately to the word of God. And really we, the response of humility of I'm under God and I'm going to do what I want to do whatever it takes to please him. I think that I love that. I remember once preaching through Philemon and someone came to me here at Grace and basically said, you know, I've been hold, harboring unforgiveness in my heart towards someone in the body for a very long time. And God broke my heart hearing about, about Philemon in, in yeah. going through Philemon. And it was like, praise God. Yeah. And yeah. My, my wife just told me about uh, a Bible study she was at last night. And one of the ladies, um, as they're talking, said, I'm, and she's a newer, this lady was, is a newer believer. And she said something along the lines of, I'm, it's really striking me that I can't let my feelings determine what's true, but let the Bible determine what's true. Mm-hmm. And that's a paradigm <laughs> shift. Like yes. yeah. for for us, like it's obvious yeah. the scripture's authoritative. But for her, it was this monumental change of thinking where she's realizing for so long she has that experience and her emotions kind of lead lead her. Mm-hmm. Now she's realizing. Wait, no, God's word is true, no matter how I feel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's a that's a great encouragement that God's working in her life. Yeah. That is a great encouragement. I think, and this kind of is a similar point, but I think it's important to recognize that there's a fundamental shift that happens when someone first comes to the Lord. In the sense that before Christ, they're a natural person, don't understand the things of God at all. Yeah. You know, first, first uh, Corinthians chapter 2. After, after being saved, there's a... There's a new nature that actually has a hunger for the things of God. And I just, I'm thinking of a guy in our church who has told me, I mean, he had a very dramatic kind of conversion experience. And he just his testimony of, of his tr- transformation really centers on his view of the word. And in his mind, before, he was picking every story apart. He would read Jonah or some of these kind of the common stories that get blown out of the water by people. He would read those and just could see nothing but errors riddled throughout the text. And he told me, Connor, after I came to, or after Christ saved me, after Christ saved me, I, I, I searched my Bible looking for errors and I couldn't find any. So there's something supernatural that happens in someone's heart where there's just a radical change of uh, not even just perspective, but a change of nature that lets someone understand spiritual things. Mm-hmm. And so even the most immature believer, like someone in the Corinthian church who's struggling with a, maybe a litany of sins, yeah. there's going to be something, there's going to be at least a seed of something in them that says, I do love, I do love the word. And if that's not there, you know, that might be cause for someone to start to question, wow, do I really even know the Lord at all? I was talking with someone yesterday who was just expressing, you know, I believe everything in the Bible, but I don't want to do a single thing about it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's a statement that starts to betray at least the question of, okay, are you saved or not? You know, do you know the Lord at all? So, yeah. Okay, guys, I have two questions I want to pose to us. And one is is a general question, and the other is really personal, okay? And what I want to do, let's just take this statement uh, on the authority of Scripture, okay? The authority of Scripture is my definition of it. The authority of Scripture means all the words are God's words, and disobeying or not believing any part of Scripture means disobeying or not believing God. Mm-hmm. And that God's word is supreme over all other communication. And it is the word of God. Okay. So with that in mind, um, two things, and I'll, I'll give them to you just in order here. I'm preaching on Friday morning, this coming 
Friday morning, we do three parts on for our men of the word men's Bible study on Friday mornings on this gaining victory over lust and pornography. Mm. And I'm going to be preaching first Thessalonians four, one through eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gone through Jude recently. We've gone through some Christian life lessons and we're going to do this for three weeks before we take a break in the summer. Let me just ask you. So we know a lot of guys that are just caught. Their foot is caught. The connection between the words authority and our response of humble obedience and that you have a lot of men who would just, they love the Lord. They, and they're ashamed at their sin. We, we should be ashamed of our sin, but for some reason they keep going back and that foot keeps getting stuck in the same spot. What do you guys have to say about that? And again, we all struggle with a lot of sin. We all struggle with sin, but what about that connection between the words authority and our response of humble obedience? And then those areas that we just, just blow right through and really just, kind of ignore in the moment. The first thing that comes to my mind with, with that person is <clears throat> that that temptation is also speaking to them. It's telling them something, but it's lying. It's telling them that this is going to be good. This is going to be uh, fulfilling. This is going to be pleasurable. And it is for a very, you know, Bible talks about the fleeting mm-hmm. pleasures of sin. It, but the lie is, is that it actually ends up leaving you uh, empty. It ends up leaving you um, bankrupt. You, you end up removing yourself from God's blessing. You end up, uh, you know, ingesting stuff that just taints and distorts your mind and your heart. It adds filth and the consequences are terrible. In other words, you're, you're relating it to the authority of scripture um, both are speaking scriptures, God speaking and the temptation speaking. And you can ask yourself, who are you going to believe? And, uh, you know, Psalm one, blessed is the man, um, this, this blessed man who walks according to the word of God, he delights in it. He is blessed. He is experiencing the good blessedness of God. And, uh, and so the temptation is offering something as well, but mm-hmm. it's a false blessing. It's an empty hope. Mm-hmm. It, it leaves you um, it's like trying to drink salt water. It, it looks like it'll satisfy and it'll just leave you parched. Um, so part of the battle that these men have to, to get is uh, zoom out, you know, zoom out bigger picture and recognize that you're being fed lies. And, and, and the scriptures are going to be the only things going to feed you the truth. And if you feed on that, you could be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Amen. And all that kind of just says that sin belies a lack of trust in God. Yeah. Because you're not believing what God is telling you is good for you and is right for you. Think about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and the idea of our, our thoughts, even telling ourselves the truth versus believing those lies. And uh, okay, good. Any other thought on that? I was just going to mention, I often think of um, just a little phrase in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Paul says that the old self um, and the patterns of the old self uh belong to the former manner of life, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. Mm -hmm. And so you can't even trust your own desires. Um, Your heart is, even as a believer, you know, is still able to fall back into the patterns of the old life and the desires lie. Um, Maybe just one more thought would be, I I feel that um, in just talking to so many guys who have struggled for a long period of time with lust and pornography, that sometimes there's such a... um, 
what am I trying to, the horse blinders, you know, the blinders mm-hmm. are on to focus so much on that particular sin and they're still feeling frustrated mm-hmm. and they're praying for deliverance, but maybe there's areas of neglect uh, in other aspects of mm-hmm. obedience that the Bible calls them to. And because they're not taking those foundational steps towards growth in Christ and yet hoping for victory in this certain area, they're not experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, and I'm sure you'll talk all this all about this, Mike, but a holistic, big God, Christ-centered, you know, pursuit yeah. of real life as a believer is, is necessary in that fight. Amen. Yeah. Amen. One thing that sticks out to me about what we're talking about right now is talking about the guy who lo- appears to love the Lord— you mentioned earlier, um, they're eating up the word of God on Sundays. Like, oh, I love, I love what you gave me today, but, but my, you know, maybe, maybe you're talking about uh, similar topics in the in the passages you're going through. It just seems like it's getting nowhere actually with them. There's a difference between loving the information of God's word and loving the impact or the actual effect God's word has on me, mm-hmm. and it's a difference in how we're viewing Scripture. Yes. Do I view Scripture as information? Yes, it's true, but it has to be true and impactful. And so only seeing God's word as information yeah. that leads you to worship him in one way is wrong because you need to see it as transformative information, transformative truth, right? And so yes. there's a switch that has to turn there of, wait, it's not just something I can say, yes, it's true. It's something I have to say, yes, it's true. And it's pointing the finger at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and in addition to that, the way you make it impactful is you have to see it as God is God yes. is speaking to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is a very personal thing. Like you mentioned the Luther quote where mm-hmm. you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. Yes. God is speaking to you yes. right there, right then. He has this message for you. It's, mm-hmm. it's live. It's relevant. It's powerful. So that makes it more personal. There's a relational dynamic um, mm-hmm. that we have to understand when we're engaging in that kind of sin, any kind of sin, really. We are making relational decisions that are offensive to God yes. and, and we're moving away from him. All right, guys, good thoughts. And one last question. Okay. One last question. I think this will be fun. You know, all of us are, have been following the Lord for a, a length of time, different, you know, some of us for longer than others, but you, we've, we've, we love the word. We, we want to obey it. We, we see it as authoritative. I just want you to, to share with us to think back in your life. When do you remember that you first really had your eyes opened, like God just just transformed your mind to the point where you said, God is my authority and his word, I must obey it. Mm-hmm. So getting to this question of, you know, why must we obey the Bible? Well, it's authoritative and conscience binding and eternal. But autobiographically, you know, when do you remember in your life when, when that kind of first really got cemented in, anchored in? For me... I'd say probably late junior high, early high school. And it happened because some of the truths in scripture that are hard to swallow, that we really hold dear as people who want to read scripture and all of it. Um, but if you just to put a name to it, some of those reformed truths of God is electing and calling believers and not others. Um, that was the, those were moments for me and at a younger stage than maybe some people where it was like, oh, well, that's hard to swallow, but it's true. And I've got to accept it. So I remember thinking of that. And then I think I remember also in college, kind of having the click of the Bible being useful for sanctification in a different realm. Not just accepting what it's that it's true, but 
accepting it as truly, truly authoritative, not just in what I'm believing and, and realizing, wait, <laughs> scripture is useful for me to actually follow Jesus, not just to learn, right? Um, and that happened in just various classes, biblical counseling classes and what that I got to take. I'll go real quick. I just, I had a youth pastor that used to hold up his Bible at the end of every sermon. I don't remember a single sermon he, he preached, but I do remember he would hold up his Bible and he would say something. When you went to youth group. Yeah, right? when I went to youth group, which wasn't often. <laughs> but he would hold it up and say, uh, this is the word of God. This is authoritative. It's true. If you give your life to this, um, it'll change your life. And I just took that for granted. I don't think I realized the importance of it until later. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, for me, it was like that. The, the what sealed the deal was John Piper's book, Desiring God, mm. which made me not only see this is important and true, but this is a treasure. This is something to delight in. This is something to nourish my soul. Mm. And so it, the inerrancy, you know, question was was never really a question because I wasn't really in the battlefield. I was nurtured in a good church that upheld it. Um, but I don't think I treasured it until I began to see how desperately needy I was and how God had provided for me in his all-sufficient word. And then later, seeing how it applies, it's mm-hmm. sufficient. When I kind of got into counseling stuff, that was another kind of light that turned on to see that I need to know this even better so I can apply it to the lives of others around me. Yeah, I'd, I'll just go quick too. I think there were different stages when I, I feel like God brought me closer and closer to a high view of the word. But one, one um, significant moment was... I was sitting in my car outside of an islands and <laughs> a restaurant. <laughs> you can tell it stands up my mind. Yeah. Uh, what's that? And I may have been talking, I may have been having a conversation with my now wife's uh, father. I can't remember that. He always wanted that to is the place, yeah. by the way, for our listeners overseas, that is a restaurant in Southern California. Yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah. Island. not an actual <laughs> Island. That is yeah, that's yeah, his favorite, that's his favorite oh, restaurant. Okay. Those fries, those fries, you can't beat them. Oh, yeah. I'll have to tell them to listen to this episode. Uh, so I'm sitting there and someone had sent me or I, yeah, someone had sent me uh, a Paul Washer sermon that's really famous now called the shock. It's the video is called the shocking yeah. youth message, <laughs> which doesn't actually have anything to do with, you know, biblical authority in a direct sense. Mm-hmm. But something about the intensity of that sermon just made something click in my mind. Oh, oh, wow. Belief in Christ is something that has to has to and should and and wonderfully uh, dominates your whole life and that just i don't think it had you know sunk into my mind mm-hmm. as much before that but something mm-hmm. about that was was pretty transformative well praise god guys thanks for sharing eric and michael good uh, to be here thank you for joining thanks us for today us and as i'm going to sign us off today but let me just say treat to have you guys with us and uh you guys added a lot to the conversation and we love you guys and in terms of the Bible being authoritative, I think this is one of the, the closing thoughts I'll just give again, is that this is a moral issue. It really is. Uh, it's not an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue. Jesus is Lord of all. And as Lord, he has absolute authority over us. And, and all of the scriptures, all 66 books, are inspired, inerrant, infallible, conscience-binding, eternal, authoritative. And... As we love the Lord, you know, we, our prayer listeners is that you would uh, follow the Lord closely and cling very closely to his word and that uh, you would uh, seek the glory of God above all and, and, uh, and obey, obey Jesus Christ, obey the word of God and, and trust him with every ounce of your life. 
So thanks for joining in. Next week will be week seven. Uh, What will God use the Bible to do? And we'll see some of the effects of the word of God upon our lives. But for now, Uh, I guess I'm signing off for now. uh, (laughs) I just point back to Connor. (laughs) We will leave you there. Uh, Have a great week. We love you. We pray for you regularly throughout the week. And we will talk to you next week on the Ordinary Church Podcast. Have a great day.